This is The Power Profile, stories of world-class leadership, hosted by award-winning broadcast journalist and media entrepreneur, Christina Mendonza. Get ready to connect with those defining success. This is The Power Profile, where we look at power in all forms of our personal and professional lives and talk to people who've leveraged power in a different way in their own lives. This is the first show of 2023, and it is a perfect way to kick off the new year because this guy is someone whose future is so bright, you're gonna hear a lot more about him. Today's conversation is with a Hollywood film director, Nick Leisure. His latest film is called Last the Night. It stars Brian Austin Green, and it's a thriller set during the pandemic when a burned out teacher on the verge of a breakdown vows revenge on some awful students. I hope your 2023 is getting off to a good start. I'm still recouping from a trip to Australia over the holidays. I did manage, though, to check something off my bucket list. My husband and I spent New Year's Eve at Sydney Harbour in Australia watching the first celebration of the new year. I always wanted to see that celebration in person. Having grown up as a kid watching Dick Clark on New Year's Eve, he'd play those clips of Australia celebrating 18 hours ahead of us. It was as cool as I'd hoped it would be, but there were a million people there around the harbor. We were all in close quarters, standing for hours, and I picked up a nasty cold that I've been fighting along with jet lag this entire first week of the new year. Totally worth it, absolutely. Usually I spend the holidays kind of strategizing for the next year, and I've done none of that because of the travel and not feeling so great. So that's what I'll spend January doing. I hope you are taking some time to do a little check-in on your own goals. And if you need a bit of motivation, today's interview should provide it. Over the past 18 years, Nick Leisure has compiled an extensive resume filled with films and commercials, music videos. It's so much fun to hear some of the R&B acts that he's worked with. Leisure has been a writer, director, cinematographer, and editor on hundreds of projects for networks such as ABC, ESPN, MTV, VH1, BET, and the History Channel. I first met Nick through the ABC station in Sacramento a decade ago. I was anchoring the news, Nick was producing promotionals, and it was work he was picking up in between films. He was so quiet and he kept to himself, but his work was always beautiful. I always thought him a bit mysterious. Actually, I've come to find out he's not that quiet. He's just really humble and he lets his work speak for itself. Then I got an invite a few years later to his movie premiere with Mario Van Peebles. And I was like, what? I felt so late to the party on his growing film career and his immense talent. Now we've known each other for years, but this is really the first time that we were able to sit down and I got to hear the whole story. It's the kind of story you'd expect of someone who's a self-made creative. He came from a challenging background. Uh, you'll hear how he navigated first the world of music and then film, the people you met who inspired him, the stories that he has told and that he still wants to tell, and how he's giving back to kids growing up like he did, who have filmmaking on their minds and in their hearts. This is someone you want to root for, and one of my favorite creatives, filmmaker Nick Leisure. Nick joins me now. It is great to talk to you. I know you're in Sacramento now, but you're bouncing back and forth between here and SoCal, right? Yeah, here SoCal, and then Mexico. That's Just right. Yeah. That's right. How did you get into those studios in Mexico? How, how did that connection come about? So we've always had kind of an issue shooting in Sacramento you know, politics and stuff. <laughs> but uh, I was, uh, it was before Clear Shot, the movie I did Clear Shot with Mario Van Peebles. And one of my producers, we were on a timeline. We only had Mario for 
a certain amount of time and we had to shoot this movie and it wasn't going to happen in Sacramento. So he asked if I would come out to Mexico and take a look at Baja Studios, where he had done a bunch of different films at. And so I figured I'd take a trip out there for the weekend and and check it out. And I wasn't expecting a whole lot, but I actually loved it. So we shot the movie there. And since then, I've done numerous productions out there. What's the difference between shooting in the States versus shooting in Canada or shooting in Mexico? Uh, Shooting in the States and Mexico is completely different because uh, there's a lot of, obviously in Mexico, there's a lot of legal things you don't have to do that you do in the States. Mm -hmm. So like if I want to blow up a car in a scene, you know, we get the proper authorities and stuff to come out and we make sure everybody's safe and the team's safe, but there's not a lot of like insurance and having to pay for, you know, a ton of money for streets to get shut down stuff like that in Mexico as it is in the States. So it's just easier and not as many regulations. It's easier. And, um, financially it, it takes about one third of the cost as it does in the U S. So shooting in Mexico is about one third of the cost. Oh, wow. Okay. That, that is a consideration. Um, talk Mm -hmm. to me, I, I, you and I've known each other for years, but talk to me about your early life in Sacramento that kind of influenced your direction. Who made you want to be a filmmaker? Uh, You know, I, it was kind of a combination of a couple things. As, as you know, my pops, like growing up was that ABC mm-hmm. for his whole career and most of his career. And, um, you know, I was always interested in like something that had to do with cameras and filming. And I grew up in martial arts, pretty heavy. I got approached by a stunt coordinator when I was 15, 16 years old that wanted me to come down to LA and do some stunts for some movies and stuff at a, he approached me at a tournament and I wasn't allowed to go because my parents <laughs> wouldn't let me leave. And so it's kind of always going to stick in my head like, Hey, maybe I should try this out. And then I, and then I got into like a little bit in the music industry and, and just started uh, trying to focus on what I wanted to do. And I uh, wanted to be an actor at first. I didn't want to be a struggling actor. Mm-hmm. So um, I spent about from the time I was 17 until 2021 mainly in the music studio i had a a mentor that was a big multi-platinum producer uh, back then still is wrote like a lot of hits for swv mariah carey and uh, different artists and so i was able to see that at a young age and see that it was obtainable even out of sacramento and um, but it wasn't what i wanted to do you know i spent a lot of time in the studio day and night waiting on artists and they hang out, you know, sometimes they'll come in from out of town and they just want to hang out all night long. And then, you know, by the time they're creatively ready, it's like four in the morning. <laughs> so it's like, and you're out of juice by then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, I was trying to focus on what my dream was and you know, started out as, let me take some acting classes. And I, I studied with Charlie Holiday in Sacramento, who was passed away a couple of years ago, but great acting coach. And then he connected me with Jack Lynn, who was the dean of the Pasadena Playhouse. So I did some Shakespeare for about a year with um, Jack Lynn. And then I started booking acting gigs and some low independent uh, productions and a lot of commercial work and stuff. Back then, I even did some for Sacramento and the River Cats and news 10 and all that type of stuff. But, um, you know, I didn't want to be that struggling actor in Hollywood that was waiting on tables. So I figured I should figure out some kind of uh, other job that I could do. And I picked up a camera Mm -hmm. and started uh, learning how to shoot. 
I don't know if it was Steve Jobs who said it's easier to connect the dots uh, looking backward, you know, not so much when you're in it. But when I when you lay all of that out, I mean, it's obvious you you had from a very early age in your father, someone who was, you know, oriented creatively uh, behind a camera. I, I, knew, I know your dad and have known him for years, worked with him. And he was very um, he took a cinematic approach to his photojournalism. So you, you were surrounded by that and then all of these different connections you were able to make with people uh, I mean you have to have the right kind of personality to be able to make those connections and then leverage those connections uh, to get you a little bit further down the road I mean who, who do you is there any one person that you look at that you think wow that was really kind of a turning point for me in terms of someone who could introduce me into another um, circle of friends no you know it, it it wasn't like the old Hollywood stories where it's like, Hey, I'm going to LA. I'm going to meet somebody. And next thing you know, you got a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't that way for me. And it still isn't it. You know, it was like, it was me trying to find that connection, trying to connect with somebody and exhausting like every option that I had, whether it was reaching out to somebody online, whether it was networking with people, I'd meet somebody that knew somebody else. And, you know, how do I connect with that person? And I just always have networked a lot with people. And then sometimes you meet somebody and they turn you on to something. It might be a smaller job. And then, you know, I, I remember back then I was, I was young with a camera and then I, I met a friend who was a, um, into real estate and he wanted to get into doing concerts. So he was asking me for contacts in the music industry, which I had a ton of contacts and, he started doing um, old school concerts with like Brick Desk and Function, a lot of those bands, and asked me to come out and shoot those concerts. And so I started shooting those, and then that turned into meeting other people. I worked with Raz B, B2K, E40, like a lot of these different artists over the years, Too Short, Corrupt, and Babyface, you know, and it just kind of like snowballed from there. Like it went from like live concerts to a lot of music videos, and then music videos into short films and some feature films that were low to no budget and then a lot of commercial work stuff like that and it was just every time you feel like hey this might be the one that like really makes it it's never that way it's just kind of chipping away at it like little by little and then you continue to grow wow. and you know you look back uh 20 years later and you're like, oh, now I'm making movies that are actually going to theaters. <laughs> I know. And you have a few of those movies now under your belt. And I know you're working on more. Uh, yeah. But I have to ask you, like that first release that I went to um, of, of your movie based on a, a famous criminal case here in the Sacramento area. How did you convince Mario Van Peebles to be in your movie? I mean, I, you know, you were working with a lot of, um, you know, actors that, you know, a lot of people have heard of maybe around Hollywood, but Mario Van Peebles is such a standout name. How did you find him and convince him to be in your movie? So I met Mario a few years before that uh, through a friend of mine who was a producer and it was just, you know, I was living in LA. I was, I was at a studio at Edmonds Tower, Babyface's old studio at the time. I was making a lot of connections and I met a, a friend producer down there that had been working on movies and I connected with Mario and we talked about doing another movie, a separate movie years ago and it just wasn't the right timing we didn't have the right funding things like that and so when this movie came up i was like oh i should reach back out to mario and i try to like you know keep those connections like alive over the years like even if it's just saying hi to people here and there 
like really try to connect. And um, and it was uh, a few years later that I said, this would be a good role for Mario. Let me reach out to Mario. And he said, yeah, let's do it. He liked it and liked the script and said, let's do it. So he trusted you. You had that relationship. Yeah. yeah. And I had like, I mean, I didn't have a lot of feature work at the time, low budget stuff, but I had a ton of commercial work and things that he could see like what I was doing already at that time. And, and he trusted me too. So I know in the, you said in the um, early days, you were do, you were the guy with the camera. You were doing everything. How did you locate and find the right people for the look and the feel you wanted with, uh, like, for instance, a clear shot? How did you find your crew? So a clear shot I shot entirely in Mexico, and I ended up going down there with that same producer friend of mine uh, who connected me with about 50, between 50 and 60 crew members down there that they continuously work on movies for Baja Studios so and television series stuff. So they do like the Selena series was done down there. Um, they shot X-Men and that studio was originally built um, for James Cameron for Titanic. Mm. So all these guys down there had been working on productions after productions after productions. And so I just kind of, I got down there and ended up linking up with that crew and uh, we shot Clear Shot. And then after that, we did few other productions down there too between music videos and another uh film that i called one in the same that i produced for another filmmaker friend of mine it was his first feature and so now i'm getting ready to go back again in january for the next one. Oh, that's great i i can imagine with each feature you've shot you've learned a ton i mean do you remember some of those early lessons that you've taken with you into uh future productions yeah, I shot, I laugh about it because I shot a movie one time back in, I want to say 2009, 2010, and I shot it in Folsom uh, at a parking lot. It was a comedy. It was a, it was a comedy about two security guards that were watching a parking lot and they didn't know there was an undercover marijuana grow operation in this parking lot. We had like Chris Holly and a bunch of like local people in it, but because the two main um, actors were on air radio personalities at the time, they could only film on the weekend. So we were filming on Friday, Saturday, and Sundays. And it took us six months to film a movie that takes place in one night. Mm -hmm. It was, it was pretty interesting. Like I learned a lot. It was <laughs> a lot of cold nights and uh, you know, actors were losing weight and gaining weight and had to make them look the same. And so I, I learned, I'll never do that again, but you know, I learned a lot from that. And then each film that I do, I, I'm very involved from the writing process all the way through post-production and deliverables. So even in the score, the color grading, everything that comes with the movie. So I like to be involved in every process of it. Tell me how you pick your topics. So I know that um, some have dealt with real life instances like a clear shot. Um, and and last the night I understand is kind of loosely uh, tied to another case. Do you find that you're inspired by headlines or, or big stories like that? Yeah, so a clear shot, you know, you know that story with the good guys shooting. So that was something that I witnessed um, because I was down the street at the time at a friend's house and the whole standoff was on the news. So we decided to go over there and see that. That was something that always stuck in my head that maybe one day I'd make that into a movie. And then uh, last night literally was a conversation I was having with a friend of mine who 
Darius, who's a principal at Grant High School, and we just got together during the pandemic, and he was telling me about a teacher that was kind of losing it, and not to that point in the movie, but <laughs> uh, the teacher wanted to come to the school and use the gym and things like that because he was at home, and and he told him he couldn't do that, and I said, well, what if we we always saw like in the media about these students and kids that would run into schools with guns and things like that, but we never talk about how teachers mentally can be fragile and like lose it at the same time. They're human as well. So I thought it was kind of a cool twist to really uh, you know, showcase like a teacher that loses it during the pandemic. I know, so my, it was my husband's a teacher. So we watched that with interest um, and got totally <laughs> lost in the story. Brian Austin Green was fabulous in it. I mean, how did you um, approach him for that role? And, and was he enthusiastic from the beginning? Did he want to collaborate on some of the lines? How did that all go down? Yeah, so, you know, normally we put a wish list together of who our leads are, and then I give it to casting directors that I work with out of L.A., and um, they'll go after that that list of um, actors. You know, they'll make offers to them, and usually they tell them, hey, you've got a week. Let me know if you want to take this offer. Here's the script. And so Brian was kind of at the top of my list. I think he was second on the list. And then, um, and I, I don't know like exactly why I had him there. I think maybe he was in the media for something else. He was going through a lot of stuff with Megan and all that at the time. So um, put him on the list and they called me and said, hey, Brian wants to talk to you and give him a call. And so um, I knew he was interested. And Brian and I just kind of hit it off right away. We talked for about five minutes about the script and the movie, and then we probably stayed on the phone for another half an hour, 45 minutes, talking about life, and he was building chicken coops in his backyard and stuff like that <laughs> in Malibu. So we, we just connected, but he wanted to make sure that I wasn't just somebody trying to make a quick, low-budget movie that was just going to... I didn't care about the quality of it, and I, I wanted to really tell a story, and so we... We hit it off and I told him I really care about like my art and what I'm doing and not just trying to flip this around and make a little bit of money and do it fast. So um, we hit it off and then we got really into the character and really just diving into the character. There was a lot of little things that we did even on set. You know, we shot grueling hours from um, 6 p.m. till 6 a.m. because students were starting to come back into school from COVID, but they were on kind of a half day thing where they go to school at seven or eight in the morning and get off by like noon mm -hmm. and so <clears throat> we had to film in the school from 6 p.m till 6 a.m which you know we showed up on set it, the sunlight was still out and the time we left the sun was out so it was a little crazy mm -hmm. and it took like probably a good week before we started to get into the groove of it but i i dialed in and scheduled certain scenes that brian went crazy like the scene where he's in the hallway talking to the kids and you kind of see him like first start to lose it. Like that was on like really late on a night at like two, three in the morning. Um, I told the PAs not to give him any coffee. I wanted him <laughs> to feel, you know, kind of on edge. And uh, it worked. It came wow. out. Wow. Yeah, it did work. He was scary in that movie. That was it, it was a great role for him. And, mm -hmm. uh, and hopefully, you know, we'll see him again in one of your other projects. Uh, was there ever a project that you felt like you wanted to make that was like the project that got away or something that's still kind of in the back of your head? I got a couple of them. I mean, one is probably the Shrimp Boy um, story, Raymond Chow. Uh, we were talking about that. We were filming some trailers and things like that back when he got arrested in like 2014. So it was 
you know, Chinese mafia story, um, head of head of the triads, like we shooting in San Francisco, actually put out a trailer um, back then and we were working on it and then he got arrested and got sent away. Yeah, he was he was going to trust you to I mean, he was going to be in your film as himself, right? I mean, how did you yeah. how did how did he learn to trust you? Usually guys like that don't trust very easily. Uh, well, Raymond and I had a mutual friend, a mutual friend that was a boxing coach and uh, he was really close with Raymond and I knew a lot of people. I had family that had been in Chinatown and San Francisco. And so everybody kind of knew each other, especially mm -hmm. out in that community. It's a very small community. Everybody knows each other. And so I, I originally talked about doing a documentary on him. We started shooting it. I still got a ton of footage with Raymond inside the Golden Dragon. We just sat there and talked about a lot of stuff and um, never released it. And um, he was just like a cool guy. Like I didn't see him as the guy that everybody else tried to paint him out to be or as far as law enforcement did as like mm -hmm. this murderer and you know when i was around him it was kind of past his prime he was he was the guy that was you know just wanted to have a good time be around good people we'd have lunch together and hang out and, you know and so <clears throat> i think he was also also kind of like him wanting that like limelight of being in like movies and you know being the face things and speaking he was in you know, Gangland and Drug Inc. and all these other like shows, you know, you can see that he really wanted that camera on him all the time. So it wasn't hard for me to talk him into saying, hey, you should play yourself in a movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> And he was for it, but dang it, got arrested. Well, I mean, yeah. you know, who knows for the future on that one? It sounds like you have some amazing um, archival uh, footage uh, with him. Yeah, I think we'll yeah. make it at some point here. I, I spoke to his girlfriend not too long ago and, um, uh, he was in good spirits and they're, they're still trying to go back to court, figure it out. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with him, but I, I stopped that production mainly because I just didn't want the attention that he was getting in the news around the world at that time. I didn't want it to seem like I was trying to benefit from him getting incarcerated. Right. At the time. Right. Um, after making a few of these um, feature movies, do you feel like you are a more well-known quantity in um, in Los Angeles or in, in Hollywood circles? I mean, do you feel like, um, like maybe you could call a few more people and they would take your call now? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it, you know, it comes and goes. It's, you're very hot at the moment when your when your movie comes out so when we when this last movie came out and because of brian and the publicists out there we we did a lot of press and it didn't hurt that he had his baby on the, the night that we had the <laughs> premiere you know or at least put that news out but i mean we had e-news and we did you know adam carolla and mario lopez and all the all the big outlets and stuff so it was you know, name was getting around i was like people that wouldn't answer my phone call before were answering my phone calls now <laughs> but it's it's one it, you know the movie business is one of those things where you got to stay hot you got to stay on right. top you got to stay doing things because people forget about you quickly well and speaking of which what are you doing now like what's your next production or what are you looking forward to making so i have another movie i'm shooting uh mid end of january uh, about a month and a half from now called savage gold that one's going to be in mexico it's also brian austin green is that in that one as well Got uh, Jeff Fahey, Glenn Plummer, um, Luis De Silva from like Fast and the Furious, 
um, my buddy Andrew Gray from Bling Empire. Got quite a few people that are in this next movie. You're such a laid back person. You don't seem very impressed by any of that. <laughs> you just, these are people you're working with. But I mean, did working with R&B artists and being around people who had some fame um, or had, had some name recognition, do you feel like that made you um, more comfortable around larger stars that you're working with now? Yeah, because, you know, at a young age, I was already in the studio with some pretty big artists. You know, I had to, met Usher when he was a teenager. I worked with a lot of different artists like over the years that were big names already. So was, when you get to meet them, you start to realize they're just normal people like everybody else. And doing music videos over the years, from After 7, Babyface, all those guys, you know, it's pretty cool. But you start to really connect with them and and figure out hey, they're just normal people just like you and I, and we're they're all trying to just make stuff happen. And so I don't look at uh, anybody as far as actors or celebrities any different other than the fact that their lives and careers are in the media all the time. Right. Is there someone you'd like to work with in the future? Or do you have a short list of people that you think, gosh, I really would like to, to do a movie where I could work with this person? Uh, it used to be Robin Williams, but he passed away. Yeah. And then uh, Keanu Reeves. You know, I like the way that Keanu Reeves like goes about his life and how giving he is to people and just, you know, the impact that he makes. And I've heard stories from other people that have worked with him on other productions. And they've told me at times when production ran out of money, he's even taken money from his salary to pay other people and even have to do that. So I try to work with people that are pretty chill laid back who don't have like they're not divas and have egos because when you get that type of stuff on set it just makes the creative process really hard yeah yeah well i ask this question to every single one of my guests guests so i'll ask you now um as a creative person what do you do to replenish your creative energy what habit hobby or ritual do you have when you're feeling depleted and want to replenish your creativity you know, for me, I've I've learned some people work really hard and then they take a vacation for a week or something and do that. And I, I do the same thing, too. But I've learned that it's a daily thing for me. Like the, the moment I get up in the morning, I usually get up really early, like 530 in the morning. And I start off with either a walk or run and meditate a little bit. And then uh, while I'm getting ready, I listen to a lot of motivational speakers. And that's like a daily thing I do in the morning, whether it's, you know, uh, Anybody that has to do with like business or anybody that has to do with life or uh, Alan Watts or all kinds of different like speakers. And I try to like just start my day off that way to like replenish my own soul and myself because I know I'm getting ready to step back in the studio and focus on just business. And so um, I've, I've kind of came up with my own routine. Right? I do that and just, you know, we all have off days and stuff, but I really try to just start that day off from you know the morning just as fresh as I can and just think about everything life and not just my career but you know surrounding yourself with good people and good energy I love that thank you so much Nick I appreciate your time I, you know we've known each other for years and I've learned yeah. so much about you today and uh, you're a great guest thank you so much Appreciate Thank it. you for having me. Yes, Nick Leisure, um, where people can connect with you. I know that you have your website, Leisure Films, but if they mm -hmm. want to uh, watch Last the Night or A Clear Shot, they can stream those.
Yeah, they're on streaming platforms. Last Tonight is on most of them. Amazon Prime, Food, Apple TV, all that stuff. So it's out there. Wonderful. Well, we look forward to huge things from you. Thank you again. Thank you. That's Nick Leisure of Leisure Films. He's also conducting a mentoring program now where he's helping young people learn how to be filmmakers, teaching them cinematography, uh, letting them get in there on set with him as his interns and help him out. Um, just an overall a good person giving back and creating fabulous movies that we all want to see. A couple of things from my world at Mendonca Media. I've launched a new initiative based on this podcast. It's called The Power Profile. It's a mini documentary for C-suite execs. Think of it as something you'd play before before you get up to speak at a conference or something you could send to broadcast networks when you're trying to be one of their expert guests. You could use it in onboarding to help new employees understand your vision or help clients understand how you founded your company and why. Helping thought leaders expand reputation and reach the power profile. If you want to know more, head to my website, MendonsaMedia.com. Also, sign up for my newsletter while you're there. It's a little value add each month. Communication tips, lessons from my consulting work. I share new research, information, and news about the world from connections with colleagues in the academic space. I don't do it every month, but most months, just when I have something interesting to share. Also, the trailer for my new documentary is complete. The movie is called Sacred Texts of War. It's brain science meets the most compelling stories from veterans you will hear. Look for that trailer coming soon. Thanks for being here. I'm Christina Mendonca. Stay powerful. This has been The Power Profile with Christina Mendonca. Stay connected through mendonzamedia.com.